Remain standing, if you don't mind, for one second. Hey, let's uh, let's pray that song over somebody's life in here. That song is that my God will bring a victory. And maybe you're here this morning and you're asking God for a victory in your life. You know, and that, that could come in lots of different forms. Maybe it's a sin in your life that you've been struggling with. Maybe it's a relationship that um, that, that you're asking God to intervene in your life. And, um, you know, whatever the struggle may be, whatever you've been asking God for, as we sang that song in worship, I felt like the Lord just... And I also want to pray for you. Maybe there's somebody in here. I'm not going to single you out. I ask everybody to remain standing. But if this is you today, um, you know, it's a matter of your faith. And it's a matter of you crying out as I lead us in prayer and you just saying yes and amen to God. And uh, But what I want to pray for you is that God would um, bring a victory in your life over something. And and whatever that is. You know, I remember it was probably two or three months ago. It was one of the first times I sang that. We sang that song here in this church. And that particular Sunday... Um, I was really needing a victory in an area of my life, and I was crying during the song because I was just begging God that God would give me that victory that I needed, and, and maybe there's somebody today that, that needs a victory. So uh, let me pray for you. And, and if that's you today, as I pray, just, just ask God for that victory. You know what the issue is, and, and, and God can defeat and, and give you that victory you've been asking Him for. You know, one of the things that happens in, in our Christian walk is that when you struggle with a particular sin over and over and over again, um, uh, the enemy begins to lie to you and tell you to stop asking for forgiveness, stop addressing it. You're, you know, you're a hypocrite. That God's not. Listen, that's not the case. The Bible says, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And I don't care. And I lived it. Um, been around the same mountain so many times that it just felt really hypocritical to continue to ask God to deal with this issue in my life that He had already dealt with that I'm struggling with again. And if that's you today, no matter how many times you've been around that mountain, continue to cry out to God. Continue to ask God for His grace and mercy over your life. Let me pray for us. Father God, I come before you, and Jesus, we as a church are asking for a victory. That Jesus, in that song, we sing a song of worship that that you only know how to triumph. And so, Father, if it's a sin in our lives, God, I pray that you would forgive us. God, we recognize that it hurts your heart, that it hurts us, it hurts the people we love, and that, God, it's, it's sin, and we repent of that, and we ask God for victory over that. Lord, if it's a struggle, if it's some kind of addiction or bondage, um, Lord, to whatever. Maybe we just eat too many Twinkies and we're asking for a victory over that. Lord, that you would give us victory over this area in our lives right now as the people are thinking about their particular area that they're asking you for. God, bring a victory. And so, Lord, we ask for your healing. Lord, I thank you for our church service this morning. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be present in this place. Lord, there's things that we cannot manufacture in this house, in this place. And Lord, it only comes genuinely as the Holy Spirit shows up and touches lives. And so, Father, we, we welcome you. We welcome your spirit. We open our hearts and lives to you. You're welcome in this place. And Jesus, I pray if there's anybody in here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today they, they would ask Jesus in, that today they would get their hearts and their lives right with you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that victory. We claim our victory, and we trust you in victory over um, over this area and over any area of our lives, Jesus. So thank you, God. Touch hearts and lives now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, good morning. You may be seated. Um, I am going to just take a pause here before we get started. And I'd like to pray for our um, law enforcement, particularly this morning. And so I know we have a couple folks here that are um, law enforcement. And so um, if you would stand, if you're law enforcement, Enoch's in the back there. I'm going to stand here. Anybody else that's law enforcement? Um, Ashley, where's Ashley? She went to the restroom, okay. Um, Ashley's husband is law enforcement in Salt Lake. I was going to ask her to stand and represent her husband. 
Um, anybody else, if you have a family member, if you have a friend, if you have somebody that is in law enforcement that um, you want to represent today, you're welcome to stand as well. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So let's uh, let, let's pray. So I'd just like to pray again. And um, and then I have a kind of, Lydia and I have been kicking around an idea this morning. And um, one of the things I'd like to do as a church is reach out to the to law enforcement, whether locally or in Salt Lake. And so we, as a church, we own that big trailer barbecue that we can do a bunch of stuff for. So I'm trying to find, I don't know yet where or how to, but maybe you guys that are standing can help me. I want to identify a police department uh, somewhere. Um, Lydia works with a gal at work whose husband is um, UHP, and they've been working 80 hours a week. Um, they've been um, doing the Capitol building and stuff. So if you know of a way or somewhere where we can go down on a uh, and, and barbecue for them and, um, and, and serve them a lunch or something, let me know. Help me, help me figure that out. And then if you want to help me on that day, um, we'll, maybe we'll try to do it on a Saturday. So for those that work, we could all do it together if that would work. Or if it has to be midweek, we'll do it midweek. But if you want to be a part of that, we want to go and barbecue. And we'll do it multiple places if we can identify multiple places for our local law enforcement to just to try to reach out and, and, and tell them we love them and that, um, you know, we know they're working hard right now and, and we stand with them. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray for them. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for everybody who's standing in this room that's either law enforcement or representing law enforcement. Father, we know that, that cops are being killed in our nation. And Lord, we pray, Father, for just the, the, the hard work. Lord, my, one of my best friends in life is the California Highway Patrol that this church knows, Eric Brewer, who was here with the adoption. And Lord, hearing his stories and just hearing how he has to conduct himself and his job is, is difficult. And he's a good person. He loves you, God. He loves, he loves the people that he serves, God. And, and yet it's, it's, it's hard. And so, God, we pray for your safety. We pray, Father, for a solution for, uh, for our country and for this nation, God. And we know that solution is not defunding the police, Lord. And so, God, we ask, God, again, just a special blessing over our law enforcement this morning as we recognize them, as we honor them. And, Lord, we also pray that as a church, Willow Springs, that maybe we could pay it forward and um, we, we could identify a, a department, a place where we could go down and, and bless them physically, Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would open that door. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. <laughs> like four of you. <laughs> All right. You guys have your Bibles with you this morning. Open them up, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second. Second. No, it's not. Oh, it is. No, I didn't. I just had my note on the wrong. I had my note in the wrong place. No, I'm there. I'm with you. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I knew that. Hey, before we get there, I want to sh- tell you guys the best thing I've seen this week. Did you guys see the video of the, um, the block where uh, George Floyd was killed last week or two weeks ago? They did a church service down there. And, and they, I mean, it, it was the streets were so crowded, you couldn't believe it. And there was a guy down there and a girl um, sharing the gospel. And the guy was leading this huge crowd in the sinner's prayer. And they were praying and, and people were asking Jesus in their hearts. And then this woman came up after him and she gave a testimony. And then they brought out one of them horse troughs and they put it on the place where George Floyd died. And they were baptizing people to salvation right there. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen the video, you got to check it out. It was so cool. It was so cool. So I thought about telling you what the worst thing I've seen this week, too, but I'm going to let that one go. There's enough worst things that we've seen out there. You guys, you know, um, as a local pastor and leader of our church, I've been trying to 
um, say the right thing and, you know, trying to lead us. But I want to just kind of hopefully share with you just quickly where my heart is and for us as a church and a fellowship. Um, you know, as Christians, we have to be the leaders, okay? I, I know we could all stand on a soapbox and say this is wrong and that's wrong and they're bad and they're bad and, you know, and, and I get it. I'm with you on so many of those issues and those things that are just disgusting that are going on um, in the world right now. You know, they're, they're hard to watch. They're wrong. They're sin. They're wicked. But at the same time, rather than me get on Facebook and, and, and publicly stand up against all these things that are wrong, I can do that. But, but I just don't see how that soapbox helps me do really what I've been called to do by God, which is share the gospel with all people. And I think for us as a church, listen, we have to find a way to love all people. We don't have to like what they're doing. We don't have to agree with what they're doing. But, you know... We, 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 we never want to alienate ourselves from sharing the gospel with anybody. One of my good friends, Ben Corson, who's a, who's a Bible teacher, he was here. He shared, he shared the gospel with me uh, on this stage. He taught for me a couple times. He's done some videos for us. Ben's dad is John Corson, who was one of the original Calvary Chapel founders. And, um, you know, Ben has a traveling ministry, and he goes to lots of different churches all over the United States, anywhere that they invite him. And I was talking to him one time about a particular place that invited him that is not Calvary and their, their doctrine is a lot different than ours and we don't agree on some of the, the issues, biblical issues. And, and he asked me, you know, what do, what do I think about this particular church and thing? And I, I shared with him some thoughts and some feelings. And then he said to me, he said, why would I alienate myself from sharing the gospel with anybody that would hear it? If I can go to a place where you know, is different than us and they, they, you know, or whatever, and I can preach Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, why wouldn't I go? You know, for example, I said, you know, if, if I got invited to a, a, a satanic chicken killing ritual to preach the gospel, I got two choices. I could say, oh, that's wrong and that's sin and I'm not, I'm going to take a stand on my soapbox and they're wrong and I'm not going. Or, you know what I would do? I would go. I would go and preach the gospel. I would go and preach Jesus. I'd go and tell them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and give people an opportunity. And so, again, the big picture of what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I want us as a church, I want us as a people to try to be part of the solution and try to love all people. And, and, and how, do you, how do you do that? I don't know how to do it. I don't have the answers. I don't know how to reach across those aisles. I don't know how to, to make a choice that I'm not going to be offended by their offensive behavior um, in, in order to, to try to reach somebody with the love of Jesus. You know what? I read the last chapter of the Bible. Jesus wins. You know what side I'm on? I'm on Jesus' side. And I'm on the winning side. So I don't need to stand on one side, the left or the right, or this or that. or you know, I don't need to carry a certain flag or color. I, I stand on the side of Jesus, and I want to represent Jesus. And listen, church, we have to be the solution. I hope you guys, I hope, and obviously we're not expecting anything from Antifa, right? We're not expecting anything from the rioters and looters and those kind of things. They're, they're acting like, like their father. So we don't expect anything out of them. They're, they're, it's not their responsibility to bring unity. Whose responsibility is it to be the salt and the light of the earth? It's yours. It's mine. And again, I don't know how to do that, you guys, and my heart breaks because I want to be, you know, I, I, I know Jesus loves all people. And, and I want us to be a, a, a part of the solution, not the problem. You know, so again, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not here to judge anybody's, you know, soapbox. But I, I, I see so many Christians standing on soapboxes 
that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that have nothing to do with, with sharing and, and, and seeing people come to Jesus. You know what kind of person the Apostle Paul was before he came to Jesus? He was a bad person. He hated Christians. He was, he was your enemy number one today. He, he was not only just hated Christians, he was literally... He, Paul wasn't out breaking windows. Paul was killing Christians. He was going into their houses and arresting them and murdering them. This is who Paul was when Jesus reached out and touched his life and the guy becomes the greatest Christian that ever lives in human history. And they're out there. And we've got to find a way to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Amen? So that's my soapbox today. I've been trying to decide what I'm going to hashtag. And I, I'm not hashtagging anything. i got one hashtag. What matters to Jesus matters. <laughs> that's it. Jesus matters. That's, that's my thing. You know, and so, again, but let's love people. Let's, let's have those tough conversations. Let's be sensitive. You know, um, all right, got to stop or I'll just keep going forever. All right, so hey, share with me how you guys feel. I've been kicking around the idea of kind of a roundtable talk um, for us here as a church, maybe on a midweek, a Wednesday night or something, Sunday night evening, where we can come back, we can pray together. Um, let's, let's pause again in light of this conversation that I just shared, and let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for the unrest, the civil unrest. You, you know what is so amazing about where we are in the Scripture today? It's exactly where we need to be for this week in human history. Like, it totally explains exactly what's going on. And I hope I can do a good job with it. Now, listen, I want to, I want to, um, um, today, I, I have to teach, okay? Now, part of the problem is, it's like, in church, we have this different dynamic. You know, if I was, if I was a math teacher, and I was teaching math to a bunch of students, and I had kindergarten students through 12th grade students all in one setting, not calling some of you kindergartners and some 12th graders, but some of you are kindergartners and some of you are 12th graders. Some of you are new to the faith and you don't really have some of the furniture and some of the things I'm going to be talking about makes no sense to you, some of the terms I use. Some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time. You've been unpacking these things. But if I was teaching a math class to, to, to K through 12, you know, if I taught 1 plus 1, the seniors would be dying. And if I taught um, trigonometry, the kindergartners would be dying, right? They would be lost. So what we're trying to do is, in a room of, of, of believers and non-believers, hopefully we have some non-believers in here because that's why we exist, um, is that, so today's message is, is really deep. It's, it's 12th grade trigonometry stuff, so I'm going to try to unpack it in such a way that there's a little bit for everybody where you are, so bear with me. But what you have to do in that today, as I teach through this concept, is you have to have your Bibles, you got to have them open, you got to follow along and read with me so you can see it for yourself, it'll help it make a lot of more a lot a, a lot of more sense. <laughs> more better sense. It'll be gooder if you open your Bibles and you read along with me. If you have your apps, um, I use a New King James Bible, but you use whatever version you like. Let's uh, let's pray for our nation. Amen. Let's stand if we can again. I'm sorry you got your Bibles open. You're all cozy, but let let's stand again um, for this nation and pray for this nation. Um, I need a volunteer. God's calling somebody that's in one of these chairs to be praying for our nation right now. Where's that? Where's the mic at, Pat? Um, I'm looking at a guy with a beard in the back. I think he, God's calling him to pray for our nation. With a bald head, maybe? Come on, man. This is Brian Wadsworth, you guys. Give him a hand. 
I just put him on the spot. But God called him, so I was just obedient. <laughs> Father God, we come to you in humility and with broken hearts as we see this nation, this great nation that you founded, this land of opportunity and freedom, and we see something that just tears us up when we see our own citizens at war with each other, at war with, uh, I mean, Lord, we're, we're supposed to be a family. We're Americans. And when we see the, <clears throat> the destruction and the lives taken, the innocent people losing their businesses and losing their lives, and God, Satan's got such a hold on the right and left. And uh, as Pastor Chris said, that our hearts and our eyes are fixed on you. We look up. We know our redemption draws nigh. God, you're the only solution, the gospel of Jesus. And we pray that you would watch over those who are in our government, who are trying to enforce our laws, that, that are that thin blue line that prevent anarchy and, and terrorism and, and heartache. God, please watch over and protect them and their families. And Lord, use us as the salt and as the light as the ones who preserve and are holding back total evil, God. Give us a voice. Give us courage. Give us love. As Pastor Chris said, help us not to alienate those who you loved and died for, God. Help us to know how how to shine that light in the darkness. And in the meantime, help us to find peace in this storm. We love you, Father, and we're so grateful for the blood of Jesus. And we ask that you would use us mightily in in the circles of our own influence and heal our land, Lord. Thank you, and we praise you and say this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you, man. Thank you. When I grow up, I want to pray just like you, man. Hey, you know, I don't know if we find this encouraging or not, hopefully so, but I want to tell you, you know, as a nation, we've been through a lot. And I know this feels like, and I've heard some people comment that this is the, the worst civil unrest that we've ever seen, and, and possibly it is, which would, would fit the, the, the narrative or the scenario. But, you know, you think of this country faced a civil war, and, and, and we survived. We, we went through the Great Depression, and we survived. We went... You know, we saw the Holocaust and two great world wars and the assassination of JFK and then the assassination of his brother and then, uh, you know, a country divided over war in Vietnam. Me personally, um, after Rodney King was was beaten and then Reginald Denny was, was ripped out of his truck and thrown bricks off of his face two miles from where I lived in the L.A. riots of, of um, 1992, I personally lived them. This was before I knew Jesus. And you give something, some, something about your pastor. I was a looter in the riots in '92 in L.A. We were, we were. This is, you know, it was the first time that I, that I, you know, saw it was so ominous in the streets. But they, they didn't have martial law, but they had curfew, and it was four o'clock on that day that that, that Reginald Denny was beaten and the riots began, and so. You know, I was about a mile and a half from, from really the heart of where it was going on. We're just a little bit on the outskirts outside of Compton and Watts and stuff where it was going on. And so all the neighbors were out. We parked cars in the streets in front of my house and we're just kind of sitting on lawn chairs, you know. And, and again, it's a couple miles away where it's going on. So we're just on the outskirts of it and we're all sitting there. And it's weird. No cars on the streets. On the street that I lived on, there's two lanes 
on either side in a, in a divider. I'm a half a block from Hawthorne Boulevard, the most traveled street in the world. Four lanes on both sides and a center divider that I parked semis in. I traveled the entire length of South L.A. Not one car. Nobody's moving. It was the first time ever you'd seen anything. It was so ominous to see nothing going on in L.A. And we're sitting on my porch. True story. This is kind of funny, but this is a true story. A black guy comes walking by my house, and he looks like Santa Claus. He's got a trash bag on his, on his back like this, full. And, we're, and he walks by, and we're all sitting on the porch. And he looks over at us, and he said, Y'all better get busy. It's on at the liquor store. <laughs> so, so I'm like 17 years old, you know, no Jesus. And so I'm like, all right, let's go see what's going on at the liquor store. And sure enough, I, I go to the liquor store across the street from my house and chaos. You know, and then, and then I can remember not that long ago um, in Dallas, I remember watching a, a footage of bullets in, in another um, riots. And I, what was going on in that time? 2015, 2016. There was similar riots that were happening today. It was going on all over, and, and they, were, they were shooting people from the rooftops. You know, and so, again, my point just being that th- this is terrible what we're going through, but as a country, the light side is that we, we've survived a ton of these things, and we've come through. You know, and, and I don't know how well we're going to come through. You know, with corona and with this stuff going on, maybe things, you know, that the, people aren't saying get back to normal anymore, right? What is everybody saying now? Get back to the new normal. And that just may be the, what, what's in front of us. But I want to kind of help us put in a biblical perspective today for where we are in Second Thessalonians. And so again, I'm going to try to paint a picture for you, a biblical picture. And basically, I'll just say this. What's happening in our world today is a demonic, satanic um, agenda. Okay? The people that are motivated and the things that are going on in the world is absolutely satanically, um, demonically motivated and there's a big picture agenda. You know, I'm not saying that the, the, the 20-year-old kid with his hood on and his mask on that takes a brick and smashes a window does it in to, for Satan's agenda. But I'm telling you that, that the push and what's happening in our world is a satanic agenda that is one day going to win. And they've been trying it since Genesis chapter 6. So biblically, this is a topic that I I could spend four or five weeks covering, and I'm going to cover it in about two or three minutes this morning. But um, there's a... um, How many of you guys have heard of this term? A one-world government, one-world economy, one-world religion, an antichrist, a false prophet. These are things the book of Revelation has talked about for a long time. The term that is popular in the world right now is NWO, which stands for the New World Order. Well, listen, there's nothing new about the New World Order. That, 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 that God or Satan has been at enmity with you and I since the Garden of Eden. Do you guys understand that? That Satan has been against humankind and the very first recorded words out of Satan's mouth is, did God really say or that you can't trust God or God's word is not reliable. And, and so since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been attempting this one world government, this one world economy, this one world agenda. And the United States and maybe Israel and maybe a few holdout places are still left to be conquered because when the rapture happens and the church goes up and this new world order is finally rushed in, which is going to take place during the seven-year tribulation period, the United States is, is the holdout. A lot of other countries, big countries, Russia, China, that have been communists, and different, it's going to be a much easier transition for them as they go through. And so the war is happening over the United States. 
and a weaker United States, it, it promotes a global agenda. And, and so um, in Genesis chapter 6, how many of you guys have ever heard of the Tower of Babel? Raise your hands. Okay. Um, let me tell you something about Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, there was a guy in the Bible, his name is Nimrod. And, and, and a lot of study and story. And this is the study that I spent four weeks on. But starting in, in Genesis chapter 6 at the Tower of Babel, it was the first organized religion in the world. And they were building a ziggurat, a tower up to heavens. And it was a worship center. All, everybody spoke the same language. And it was a demonic system of a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world um, religion. Did I say that? Religion, economy, government currency and God came down in the midst of Genesis chapter 6 and what did he do to Nimrod and those at the Tower of Babel he confused their languages because they they could have accomplished anything and he spread them out possibly at that time there was a land divide and people were spread out all over the world and and since Genesis chapter 6 um, Satan has there's this red scarlet thread that runs through the entire Bible from Genesis chapter 6 to Revelation of this one world order. Now we can be um, we can be comforted knowing that they've been trying this for six thousand years and they are going to win and then they're going to rule and reign for seven years and then it's over. So seven years they, the, the Antichrist is going to rule under this order. He, his whole reign that they've been trying to get accomplished for six thousand years. When they finally accomplish it, it's only going to last for seven years. And, and what is the thing we're going to see in our chapter, the thing that's been holding back this one world order, this one world economy, this one world government and religion? What's held it back for 6,000 years? The church, Christians, the Holy Spirit working through you and I. If you took all of the Christians off of planet Earth, what do you think it would be like? There would be There would be no... <laughs> there would be no stopping the, the agenda of evil. There would be no stopping anything that, um, that, that, that we're the voice against. So, so for 6,000 years we've been holding it back. Well, there's going to come a day. So it goes from Genesis 6 to Revelation 17. In Revelation 17, toward the end of the tribulation, Jesus, let me, let me read it to you. You could turn there with me if you want. Revelation 17. And it says, the woman, in verse 4, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great mother of harlots, capital, or not capital, but mother of harlots, S on the end of it, right? Not of a harlot, but of harlots, multiple systems. What fits into the, the, the red thread that runs through human history of Satan's plan? Everything. You know, if it's not in Jesus, it's in Satan's plan. And so those so many different systems and evils and things, the harlots with an S and the abominations with an S of the earth. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with amazement. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you a mystery of the woman and the beast who carries, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Let me just sum up for you. Basically, Jesus is going to feed in, in chapter 18. In verse 2 it says, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. So that at that point, Jesus is going to defeat this Babylonian system. So from Genesis 6 to Revelation 18 verse 2 is, is this run and then it's over. And then shortly after, the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. 
thousand-year reign. They're going to succeed. But what's happening in our world right now is a push toward the unveiling of the Antichrist, the unveiling of the things that, 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 that the Bible says are true. You know there's over 747,000 words in your Bible? And, and there's one word that's only used one time in the entire Bible. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's the word Maranatha. You may know what that means? Maranatha. The word means, O Lord, come, is the way it's translated in English. So that's what we say when we say, Jesus, come, in the rapture. Come and get us. Maranatha. O Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, it says at the end of Revelation, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. How many of you guys have been asking Jesus to come? How many of you guys have been saying, Maranatha, oh Lord, come? Well, listen, let me tell you what comes with that prayer. Everything you're seeing in our world today. So don't complain about what you're seeing in the world today and all the trouble if you're saying, oh Lord, come. Because for the Lord to come, He said those things would happen, right? He said that, that they're going to win. For a time when we disappear and everything is turned over to them, they're going to win. So if, as things are falling apart, we as Christians, we understand it's the very same things that needed to fall into place in order for Jesus to come back. And, and so the Lord is coming. And listen, Jesus warned us. How many of you guys heard of a guy in the Bible by the name of Noah? Noah. You know what Noah was known for in his day? Being a whack job. Being a weirdo. The only person on planet Earth who was preaching that Jesus was coming. The day after the rain started, let me ask you who you'd rather be, Noah or the rest of the world? You know what? Jesus is coming again. That's super clear. Who do you want to be today, Noah or the rest of the mocking world? You know that Jesus is coming, and he, not only is he coming, but in Matthew 24, the apostles asked him, the disciples asked him, Jesus, when are you coming, and what will be the signs of your coming in the age? And then Jesus begins to tell them in Matthew 24, in Luke 21, in Mark 13, the Olivet Discourse, he begins to tell them the things that were going to take place. And do you know what he told them? Turn on your local news. That's what he told them would happen, what we're seeing in our world today. Actually, don't turn on your local news. It's nonsense. It's lies. Turn it off. Take, take, take the uh, Facebook news challenge this week. Let's do it as a church. How much time do you spend watching the news, reading the news, scrolling Facebook or Instagram a day? Do you spend that same amount of time or more reading your Bible a day? So, so this week, as much time as you want to spend watching the news or Facebook, make sure you spend an equal amount of time a day. So if you give yourself an hour on, on, on media, then you have to read your Bible for an hour. The easier thing to do would be completely turn the media off, and then you only got to read your Bible for like 30 seconds, and you, and you accomplish your goal for the day. And so, but I'll tell you this, if, if you read your Bible the same amount of time that you spent read, reading the bad news, you'd have so much more joy in your life. You'd have so much more victory in your life. You wouldn't be depressed. You would, you know, you'd find the joy of the Lord. Put that stuff down and pick up the Word of God. You know, it's just simple and practical and true. Paul told us that the things that are lovely and true, meditate on these things. The things that are noteworthy and meditate on these things. Put that in front of your TV and try to watch the TV with, with that scripture in mind. All right, we've got to get to Corinthians. So, 
Oh, we're in Corinthians. Maranatha. We've got to get to Thessalonians. That's what I said. First Thessalonians. Oh, second. Chapter 5. Okay, Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 1. So the stage is being set for the Antichrist, and this chapter teaches about the Antichrist. He's not called by the name Antichrist. Only in 1 John do we get that name Antichrist. But the Antichrist is mentioned. I'm not going to quote this, but I heard a very, very, very smart pastor this week, actually Don Stewart, say that the Antichrist by name um, is mentioned as many times as Jesus in the Bible. That's how much he's talked about in the Bible. Tons of times and different names. The lawless one, on and on. Son of perdition, the just on and on and on with the names and the titles and the topic of Antichrist. It's covered pretty thoroughly in our Bible. So, you know, if we're going to be students of the Bible, we should have a concept on this, this idea. Now, again, well, let's, let's get to it. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you. Now, to put this in context, um, the, the Thessalonian church, Paul only spent three weeks there. It was the first letter that he wrote back to a church he had already been in other cities and began to plant churches but maybe because he spent the 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 smallest amount of time in the city of Thessalonica that he needed to write them letters to help them out in this church plant that Paul planted so the very first letter that Paul ever wrote in all the New Testament that we have is first Thessalonians and then second Thessalonians would be next well two of the main issues that the Thessalonians were dealing with is they thought they had, we looked at this last in the last chapter, last week, they thought they missed the rapture. And then here, they thought that they entered into the day of the Lord or the seven-year tribulation period. So because they thought they entered into the day of the Lord, Paul's addressing that. Remember last week we talked about somebody plagiarized a letter, they wrote um, a false letter, and they put Paul's name on it, and they circulated it among the Thessalonians. Paul's going to mention it here. So Paul, what Paul is addressing right now is the idea that the Thessalonians believed that they had entered the seven-year tribulation period. That's, that's interesting because today, in the day we live in now, I know folks personally, I've talked to some of you who have friends who have said to you um, that they believed they were living in the seven-year tribulation period right now. I've tried to be as clear as mud to tell you guys that there is no way that we are living in the seven-year tribulation period. There is a huge difference between what Jesus said in John 16 about the tribulation you'll face and the, and the, and the coming wrath of God that is the great, tri- great tribulation. So there's no way. Well, they believed they were living in it, and so Paul's going to address it. Now look at verse 1 again. Now, it's possible that Paul is talking about two things in verse number 1. Say two things. Okay, so the concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are gathering together to him. They sound like the same thing, but they, it's possible it's two separate things because we know that, that Jesus' coming technically is qualified coming for the church and coming with the church. Which one is the rapture, for or with? For. For is the rapture. He's coming for the church. We're going to meet him in the clouds. He doesn't actually come to the earth. And he's coming for the church. That's the rapture. That happens at the beginning of the seven years or the end? The beginning. So at the beginning of the seven years, before it starts, he comes for the church. And then he comes with the church when? At the end of the seven years, on a white horse, Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon. And so, um, so here he says concerning these two things, the coming of our Lord Jesus and the gathering together to him, 
which would be the rapture, that you not be to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. The day of the Lord has not come, Paul is saying. That, 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 that it hadn't come. Don't be troubled. And look what he says in verse 2. Don't be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. And so it's possible when he says by spirit or by word or by letter that somebody wrote a letter. He mentions this there. We talked about this false letter that maybe was circulating. Maybe they had a service and, and people were sharing and praying and, and, and somebody prophesied in a false prophecy, um, supposedly in the spirit, that they had entered the day of the Lord. And, and so Paul is saying, don't be troubled by these things. Don't be worried. You have not entered the day of the Lord. And then he says, um, let no one deceive you by any means. Let, let me pause for real quick. Hey, when I say the day of the Lord, does everybody understand what that means? That's, that's again, that's a concept that's covered very thoroughly in the Old Testament and the Bible. When you hear the day of the Lord, it's ominous. It refers to the, the, the day of the Lord is how we describe the seven-year tribulation period. That's, that's, a, that's a term that describes the seven year. Another way we say that is the times of Jacob's trouble. Okay? So the day of the Lord is, is ominous. Sometimes you, you read the day of Christ and, and those two t- uh, terms are synonymous or, the, or similar, the same. So the day of the Lord always refers to a yet future day where God begins to pour out His wrath upon the world. And so Paul's saying that the day of, of the Lord... Um, in your New King James versions, it says the day of Christ, but then in your margin, if you look in your margin, it has a little one there in front of Christ. It says the Lord. So anyways, the day of the Lord had come. Don't, don't worry about that. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now let me tell you, there's lots of controversy around verse 3. And I don't want to create a problem for those that don't have a problem with it. But um, you have to understand that in verse 3, if you just read it by itself, or if you just read this, it could almost make it sound like Paul is saying that, that the son of perdition or the Antichrist has to be revealed before the day of the Lord or before the rapture, before the coming of Christ. But when we read it in context and you catch the big picture, that's not what he's saying at all. He's actually telling them that that, that day has not come Because in order for that day to come, the Antichrist has got to come. And because he's not here, it means that day is not there. So, but but again, when you just read it, it gives you a lot of trouble. If you talk to a mid-tribulation, a post-tribulation rapture theory people, they're going to bring you right to this verse. And you don't have to be afraid of it. You you, you just have to understand it, unpack it in context. And and they'll tell you, they'll, they'll read it like this. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin or the antichrist the son of perdition um, is revealed so again when, when you look at it in that context but then if you if you come down look at verse number eight paul is super clear in verse number eight what he's saying right and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the lord consumes with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming i'm sorry verse seven seven and eight for the mystery of the lawless is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Okay? So the lawless one can't be revealed until the restrainer is taken out of the way. Who's the restrainer? Okay? 
The restrainer is the church, but more specifically, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit working through the church. That's why we've had this conversation in, um, in theology classes forever. Does, does the Bible say that the Holy Spirit will be taken off of the planet when the rapture happens? Because this verse would make it sound like that, but that's not what it's saying. Because the Holy Spirit has to be here for the seven years because there's all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of work of the Holy Spirit that's taking place for those seven years. So the Holy Spirit can't be removed. But here it does say that that, that power, the restraining power, is removed. So what does that mean? So what it has to mean, and what's, what's, what's contextually consistent, is that it's the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. You and I are the arms and the legs of God. You and I are the hands and the feet. God, is, God has chosen to use you and I to do the ministry and do the work. He can use angels. In the Bible, at times, God goes, used a donkey, literally a talking donkey. Balaam's donkey wouldn't go anywhere, and he's kicking it, and he's hitting it. And, 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 and finally the donkey goes, why do you keep kicking me? And you know, the silly part about the story is Balaam didn't even flinch. He just started talking back to the donkey. Because I'm trying to go somewhere, and you won't go. Well, stupid, if you could see the angel standing there with a sword, you know why I'm not going anywhere. So, so God can use whatever he wants, but he chooses to use you and I. So it's the Holy Spirit working through us that is this restraining power. And until that's taken away, the Antichrist, verse 7 and 8, cannot be revealed. Now listen, if follow this. This is so important. This is so huge. If, if Paul taught the, the Corinthians that they were going to go into the tribulation period, why would they be all freaked out here? They would have expected it. It would have been, Paul wouldn't have had to talk them off the ledge if, if he already told them they would go into or through the tribulation. But because Paul was so clear to them that they would not go into the seven years, when, when, when people started saying that they were in it, they started freaking out and now Paul is addressing them. Again, another layer of pre-tribulation rapture that, that just ha- that's the only thing that fits the, 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 the scriptures. It's the only thing that's consistent, Genesis to Revelation. Hey, let's unpack verse 3 together um, and, and go through it. And I want to try to help you if you've had this conversation with your friends so you can understand it a little bit. It says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, that word falling away um, can mean two things. It's, the word is departure. Now, how do you, how do you understand a departure? It can, it can be understood two ways. It's a departure from the faith. Or it's a physical departure from a building or a place. Okay? So a falling away is an apostasy. Now, the falling away had already happened, first of all, in this point. And, 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 and if the word, up until the King James Version Bible of, what, 1611? Is that what it was? 1611? 1611, this word in seven translations, prior translations, was always translated in the term of a physical departure. And if that's the case, if this means or if this is a reference to a rapture, that's one more proof positive that that the Antichrist won't be revealed and that the church will be taken out prior to the great tribulation period. So if you read it as the rapture, it would read or departure, it'd read completely different. And and it is there. The word means departure. The only question is, is it a departure from the faith or, or a physical departure? Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the departure comes first. Now, now it solves the question of when the rapture happens, if, if you translate it that way. But let's say that's a liberal translation or you don't like that translation and it's, it's meaning a departure from the faith. So a departure from the faith, faith comes first 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So then, then Antichrist, um, so again, what Paul is saying in context, right, is that, listen, Thessalonians, don't worry that you've entered the seven-year tribulation period because that can't happen until the Son of Man is, is taken away and the falling away happens and those things haven't happened yet. Amen? So hopefully that clears it up for some of you. Um, and then in verse 4 it says, Who oppresses and exalts himself above all that is called God, that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself to showing himself that he is God. Who's it talking about? One person knows. Who are we talking about in verse 4? Somebody. Come on. Antichrist. Are we talking about the Antichrist? Okay. And we're talking about specifically in verse 4, the abomination of desolation, right? Do you guys know what that means? He who opposes and exalts himself above all that is God and that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple. What temple? In the temp- so the Antichrist is going to sit in the temple of God and he's going to show himself that he is God. Where is that temple today? It's not built yet. All, every time one of my friends tells me, oh yeah, we're in the tribulation. All my mid and post-tribulation friends, they say, oh, we're in the tribulation. This is the beginning. I say, oh really, where is the temple? <laughs> yeah, wrong temple. Um because that's not the temple that, that Antichrist is going to enter and, and make the abomination of desolation. But listen, the, Bib, the, the Bible prophesies, the biblical prophecy, and it's clear. If, if, and again, you could time things by this because at the three and a half year mark, Jesus said it, Daniel said it, Paul said it, John said it, that, that the, the Antichrist is going to make the abomination of desolation. And it's going to happen at the three and a half year mark. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke of, flee to the mountains. So at that point in Israel, what's going to happen is the church is going to be gone. Physical Israel, they're, they're not, they don't believe in Jesus today. They're going to go into the tribulation. Noah and his family represents Israel. They went into the, the flood, right? They weren't taken out before the flood happened. Who was taken out before the flood happened? Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. Contemporary with Noah, he's taken out, represents the church. Noah, who represents the, the, the nation of Israel, goes into the seven-year tribulation period or he goes into the flood. So, so Israel is going to go in to the seven-year tribulation period. At the three-and-a-half-year mark, um, this temple that is not there today, and by the way, everything for the, the rebuilt Jewish temple is happening um, and has been happening for the last 10 years. You can go. We've been there to the Temple Institute. Um, you, it's a museum, and they're building the artifacts that will go into the rebuilt temple. All they need to do is have a peace treaty and a way to be able to build it. Now, for Israel, they, they will... You know, my, my thought is, you want this temple so bad, why don't you just build a temple? You have a million places you could build a temple. They will not build Solomon's temple, the Lord's temple, unless it is in the exact same spot where Solomon built it and where the Holy of Holies is. The same, it has to be on that spot. Well, what's on that spot right now? The Dome of the Rock, what we call Temple Mount in Israel. So the Dome of the Rock is there. Now there's two thoughts among the Jews. 
the dome is in the way and it needs to be destroyed in order to build the, this third temple, this coming temple. Others believe, and I'm in this class, is that because in Ezekiel he says to, to mark out the outer courts because it's been given over to the Gentiles. And just to the north of where the Dome of the Rock is, is a thing called the Dome of the Spirits. It's just a little tiny kiosk that sits out there that marks a particular location. Many believe that that is the actual Holy of Holies. And if that's the case, you could build the temple, leave the Dome of the Rock, and build the temple just to the north of it, and it would all fit there on Temple Mount. The Jews would be happy. The Muslims would be happy. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Daniel. Okay, I'm going to make you, I'm gonna let you guys get there. When you find Ezekiel, go to the right. Daniel chapter 9. And so this temple has to be there to fulfill prophecy. And the temple is not there now. But this temple is going to go up very fast. You, you know what's fascinating about the, when you go to Israel, and um, I know many of you, look around the room, many of you guys are going to Israel with me in this next trip. We're going to see these things firsthand. One, right there in front of the, um, the Jewish school, just, just outside of the Temple Mount or the Dome of the Rock, the Western Wall, is a life-size menorah. Um, and it is the actual menorah that will go into the rebuilt temple. When you walk through the museum there, the uh, Temple Institute Museum, you're looking at a, a laver. You're looking at a place like an altar for sacrifice. This is not a replica. These are the items that have been built to go into the temple when the temple's done. Right now in Israel, they're training priests and they're trying to identify those that come from the tribe of Levi and they're training them on how to kill sheep, how to sacrifice sheep and sprinkle blood and how to do incense and do these things so that when the temple um, construction is done, the artifacts are done, they can go in and very quickly they, they will... Um, con- resume uh, worship in the temple, the nation of Israel. After three and a half years, what's going to happen? The Antichrist is going to, he's going to set himself up as God. He's going to enter the same temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And he's going to say, I am God. The Bible has this weird prophecy about this statue that talks or this image of the beast that, who knows, maybe it's through AI technology. Maybe it's some kind of super demonic power that, that the Antichrist is going to use and this, this image is going to do some weird stuff that he's going to set up and he's going to demand that people worship him as God and then he's going to give them a mark. What do we call that? The mark of the beast. And, and you have to receive the mark of the beast to buy or sell. Christians, let me tell you something about the mark of the beast. Don't worry about it. You will be so long gone. You have bigger problems if you're worried about the mark of the beast. Because if you're not gone before it happens, then and you survived the three and a half years when a third of the world population dies and you happen to survive and on and on and on and on, you've got much bigger problems. Listen, when this is biblical, when the mark, when those that receive the mark of the beast, it's not a special credit card because you can't buy or sell without it. But listen, it's not just a special credit card that gives you the the ability to buy and sell. You know, I've heard conversations almost like, oh, "I got to feed my family." I, I, I don't want to, I don't worship Satan, but I got to take it because I got to feed my family. Listen, it's not the issue. The mark of the beast biblically is a willful submission to follow Satan. It's like asking Jesus in your heart the wrong way. It's like asking Satan in your heart. Because the Bible says everyone who receives the mark of the beast will go to hell for all of eternity. 
And, and so it's, at that point in history, it's not just a physical idea to be able to buy and sell. It's, it's understanding now who the Antichrist is because he's revealed himself. He's shown what his true colors are. He wants to be worshipped as God. You know what Satan's always wanted? To be worshipped as God. That's why he, pride filled his heart in heaven and God kicked him out because he wanted to be worshipped. And, and so the mark of the beast is a spiritual act. It, it's, it's a willful submission to, to falling in line with, with Antichrist and with Satan personally. And you won't be here for that. You won't have nothing to do with that. So stop posting about the chip as the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And you won't get a barcode tattooed on the back of your neck because it's the mark of the beast and then you'll go to hell for all of eternity. Listen, I said this last week kind of to try to purposely shock you. It, you can chip me, you can tattoo me with, with lines and marks and all those things because that's not what it is. And it's not, it's not how it's going to affect us. Amen? All right. What? Okay, we're just about done. Definitely going to sing your last song today. Hey, you're in Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. What does that mean? Seven years. Every day of the week represents a year. So, so a week is a seven-year period of time. He'll confirm a covenant with, with many for one week. Who's he in verse 27? The Antichrist. Who's he going to confirm a covenant with? with Israel and Islam, with the rest of the world. And, and what is the covenant that, of peace that, that Antichrist is going to bring? It's going to open the door for Israel to be able to rebuild this temple on the most disputed land, um, piece of property on all of planet Earth, Temple Mount, where the Muslims and the Jews are still to this day fighting over control of it. So the Antichrist is going to be the first one. You know, every president has tried to come up with this peace treaty in Israel and failed. And then the president, our current president, has one on the board. And again, every time a president tries to make a peace treaty with Israel, don't call him the Antichrist. He's not the Antichrist. Okay? Um, but the Antichrist, when he is raised up, he, he will confirm a treaty. And then look at verse, the rest of verse 27. But then in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to stop the Jews from offering lambs and sacrifices and abominations. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate. That's the abomination of Jesus, of desolation that Jesus talks about that, that 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 is mentioning. And at that point, Jesus said, flee. And when Jesus tells the Jews to flee at the three and a half year mark, he says, pray that your flight would not be on the Sabbath. How many Gentiles would, how many of you guys would be affected if your flight was on the Sabbath? None of you. So why, so it's Jewish at this point. When, when, the, when the seven-year window opens up, the 70th week of Daniel, we're in a pause right now between the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. When the 70th week of Daniel resumes, it's Jewish. Another reason why you won't be here for the tribulation. It's not about you. Don't be arrogant. Jesus is done with you. He's going to focus on the Jews. No, he's not only done with you, he's going to bring you up and celebrate with you as the bride of Christ for seven years while he returns his focusing and fulfills the 70th week of Daniel. So um, the Antichrist is a political figure. You know, uh, um, in Daniel chapter 11, I'm so out of time, but I'm going to cover this stuff. So you guys just, is your butt getting sore yet? Shake it in real quick. Hey, let me cover this stuff. Look, it says, he shall regard neither, speaking of the Antichrist, Daniel 11:37. he shall neither regard the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. It says that, Daniel 11, um, 37. So two things, not the God of his fathers. People say, is he Jewish? 
because the God of his fathers would be the God of the Jewish fathers. Um, there's, there's both sides of the house, um, whether he's Jewish or not. It really doesn't matter. It's kind of fun to talk about. Okay? Um, Don Stewart, uh, Jack Hibbs, some really smart people believe that he will not be Jewish. He'll be Gentile. Me, I'm not as smart as them. I think he's going to be Jewish. And the reason why I think he's going to be Jewish and not Gentile is because the only other person in human history that was personally filled with Satan was Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and Judas was a Jew. So the last type of Antichrist was Jewish. And that he's not going to, he's, and as it says here, he's not going to regard the God of his fathers. Okay? Whether he's Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. For a long time, I believed that he would be a Muslim. I believed that. I probably taught that many times, that the Antichrist would be Muslim. Um, because of the, the ability and the need to control the, the, the world and, and, and be, be, be Muslim because there's 1.3 billion Muslims in the world. Today, my theology's changed a little bit and, and the reason is because one of my Jewish friends tells me and told me and Islam is changing. The, the, the power that Islam was 10 years ago, 5 years ago is changing and they're being defeated and they're coming to Christ in droves. But the bottom line is a Jew will never follow a Muslim as, as their Messiah can't happen. can't be a Muslim and be the Jewish Messiah. So it just doesn't fit anymore. It says that he, will, he won't regard um, women. So some people say, is he gay? Does that mean he won't have the regard of women? No, I don't think that's what it's saying, that he'll, he'll neither regard um, the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. But it just means that he won't, um, you know, he, he won't be, mo- I, I don't know how to say it, that he, it's not necessarily that he's gay, but that you know, like, like we want to please a woman or have a woman or have a wife, that he just won't have that desire. I'm not even going to ask you to repeat what you said. <laughs> I got I to gotta stop. All right, I do got to stop. Um, we're gonna, we're, we'll finish this next week. How about that? Because I got so much stuff, and I can't just kind of pack it all in. Let's, let's invite the worship team to come on up. Hey, sometimes I think that these um, messages bring questions, and I want to answer your questions, Okay. Um, none, none of this stuff is meant to be, obviously is meant to be um, scary or ominous or create any kind of, it's supposed to create hope in us. And for me, you know, as I see the world falling apart all around us, I also see the, the prophecies of the Bible falling into place. Jesus said, pray that you would be found worthy to escape these things that are going to come. And these are Jesus's words, not mine. So Jesus said in these days, don't be carousing around, sleeping with somebody who you're not married to, being drunk and partying and all these things. It's like, what do you want to be doing when the Lord comes? Watching and praying. You want to be ready at the very least. And now is not the time to not be ready. So, so let's get our hearts and lives right. You know what? Again, I, maybe I'm Noah in this scenario. And I'm telling you a flood is coming. I'm telling you the rain is coming. The day, it had never rained on planet Earth before the flood began. There was a firmament, the Bible says, over the, over the earth. And, and that, that the earth was watered and there was dew, but no rain fell. There was a, and that's probably why we have um, the sun that affects our skins now, that it gives us cancers and things. It wasn't there before. It's not the way God created it. He created actually a firmament in the heavens. And the firmament came down and the waters below came up. When the firmament came down, it had rained on planet Earth for the first time. People didn't know what rain was. But they knew a flood was coming or if they, if they had heard Moses, Noah preach for all them years. What do you think the, the guy did the first time the raindrop hit him in the face? I'm sure he ran to the boat. 
Like, it's true. When he started to see the waters bursting from the bottom, Jesus is coming. There is going to be this thing. And, and at that point, he ran to the boat. You know what the problem was? It was too late. Seven days earlier, the Lord closed the door. Just picture the scene that would have taken place in real life at the boat that Noah built when the waters begin to rise and people begin to run by the hundreds and thousands or how many ever were close enough to get to the boat and the carnage that would have taken place, but it was too late. As, as people would have drowned and been smashed on the rocks and the boat in that scenario because at that point, it was too late to, to get in the boat. You had to be ready. You had to previously get in. And the invitation was always there. For 120 years, Noah spent his life inviting people to join him on the boat and nobody did. That day is coming again. And Jesus said, watch and pray and be ready. Amen? Amen. So let's stand together. We're going to invite you guys to uh, have your hearts and lives right with the Lord Jesus. Listen, there, there really is no judgment in Jesus. There's no condemnation in Jesus. That, that, that we are all sinners we are all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And, and, and we just live by what is, what is true. And, and, and really our call as Christians, which I stress like a lot, right, is that we're called to love one another. We're called to love across the aisles. We're called to be the light and the salt in this, in this world. So let's, let's try to find a way to love people. Try to find a way to love people in Jesus. Love hard people to love. And make sure, I want to give you an opportunity, to make sure that your heart and life is right with the Lord Jesus before you leave here today. Amen? So let's pray together. Will you guys pray? I'm going to lead you guys in what we call a sinner's prayer. And I ask everyone to pray out loud. And for many of you, you're saved and, and you're just, just praying. But maybe there's somebody that, that, that wants to ask Jesus in their heart today for the first time. Or just maybe they've done it before and they're just not sure that, that they're going to heaven and they want to get right. If you mean this and that's you today and you're asking God for salvation, by just saying this prayer, the Lord knows and he's going to hear you. And the Bible says the angels in heaven are going to rejoice over one sinner who repents. And your life will absolutely change. God will fill you with this Holy Spirit. And, it, and if you came here this morning and you were going to hell, when you leave here today, you're on your way to heaven. And it's a, it's a surrender of your heart and life to the Lord Jesus. The prayer is just a way to guide and lead us and get us in that direction. But if you surrender your heart as I pray and you say yes to Jesus, you will be born again. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. I give you my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life. I surrender to you. I want to be ready. I want to be a part of the solution. Fill me with your love. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, one last song. God bless you guys. Amber and Josh, Pat and Angie will be up front to pray if anybody would like individual prayer. We love you guys. God bless you guys. Have a great week.